I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. I'm getting very excited to see so many of you in person in just a couple of weeks from now in San Diego for the Global Genes 2022 Patient Advocacy Summit. It's September 13th and 14th. And if you're new here and you can't make it in person, head over to globalgenes.org and register to be there virtually. Trust me, you don't want to miss this rare disease summit. Today, I have two very interesting guests. One is a scientist and the co-founder of VibeBio. You may have been hearing a lot of buzz about this innovative and unique biotech company who leverages crypto to fund research for rare and overlooked diseases. He started this company after seeing what was missing when his own child was born very sick. He wanted to start this company because he realized that the biggest obstacles in treating patients with rare and overlooked diseases isn't finding the potential treatments. It's funding them. Don't we know? Also on the show is Rare Mom doctor and president of NF2 Biosolutions. NF2 Biosolutions has raised more than a million dollars and has partnered with 10 different labs to research a promising gene therapy treatment. But it needed a bigger source of funding to start in those clinical trials. Vibio is partnering with NF2 Biosolutions to provide that funding and to launch a company called Merlin, which is a biotech dedicated to finding a cure for NF2. So, Let's dig in and learn about this partnership and how it works. It's very exciting and a game changer for the rare disease community. Please welcome Alok Tai and Nicole Henwood. Hi, Nicole and Alok. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Dynamite team here. I'd love for the both of you to introduce yourself and share a bit about your personal stories and what exactly brought the both of you together and creating your organizations and your foundations and your companies that we're going to be talking about today in the podcast. So Nicole, I'll start with you. Sure. Thank you. I'll start with the story of my son. So that's really how I ended up here. So my son, AJ, he's 11. Currently, he was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis type 2 when he was 6 in the early spring of 2018. So I am a physician and I had never heard of NF2 before. No idea what that was. I had to go back and look up from the very beginning and teach myself everything about this disorder and when you first read about it on paper, it sounds pretty awful, but something that maybe could be managed. And the more I dug into it and met more and more NF2 patients, I really realized very quickly that what is available for treatment currently is not what I want to be available for my son. 
So I started meeting other parents, a lot of it through social media, and quickly decided we had to do something to fight back. So I founded a 501c3 charity that we call NF2 Biosolutions, and NF2 is what we call neurofibromatosis type 2. And we applied for charity status with the IRS. That came very quickly, and we started fundraising and just going out and meeting everybody that we could meet that knew anything about NF2. And really, after reading what was out there and what had been done, settled on that gene therapy was the way to go, that we did not want our children tied to painful surgeries, loss of functions like vision, hearing, balance, ability to walk, muscle, motion, or tied to really toxic and almost life-threatening levels of chemotherapy drugs and things that don't really work anyway. So gene therapy was really how we envisioned the future of changing the trajectory of NF2. Bam, bam, bam. Does the NF2 manifest later in life? You said he was nine when he got his diagnosis? He was six, but NF2, it's one of those things where it's genetic, so you're born with it. You don't get it or catch it or get exposed to something that causes it. You're born with it but it tends to present in different people in a huge range of ages, anywhere from as young as slightly after birth, which is unusual, up through occasionally in rare cases, people aren't diagnosed till their you know, 50s or 60s. But typically the average way of presentation is in the teens, either late, early childhood, mid-childhood, some things start to appear like lumps and bumps that don't have another explanation. But a lot of the time it is either hearing loss, which is one of the first things that a lot of people come in with, And at that point, to have hearing loss, it means a tumor that's really pressing on the hearing nerves. It's the vestibular and cochlear nerves. And at that point, it's often too late to do any intervention that's really going to change the trajectory at all. Then the other, and this is how my son was diagnosed, the other way a lot of kids are diagnosed, there are eye manifestations and with screenings in schools and other things like routine eye, you know, vision checks and things like that. Sometimes it gets picked up. There's cataracts that can be a sign of NF2, and also little tumors are called hematomas. They don't often cause a major problem in terms of the things that do cause problems in NF2, but it's something that the ophthalmologist can see. And that's what happened with my son. She said, well, there's his vision's okay, 20-30, don't need to do anything about it, but there's this little freckle in the back of his retina, and sometimes the freckle's normal, sometimes it's not, so let's get it checked out. And she sent us to a big ophthalmology hospital in Philadelphia called Will's Eye Hospital. And we were actually really lucky. It was, you know, the worst day of my life because that's when the diagnosis was actually confirmed that there was something genetic wrong with my child. But if we hadn't had the physician that we had that day, it could have been passed off as just, you know, some type of benign, strange finding or freckle or lump. But this particular ophthalmologist had studied NF2 and had written one of the the only papers out there on NF2 eye management manifestations and she knew pretty much there and said this is probably NF and most likely NF2 but we need to get an MRI and he got an MRI a couple weeks later and unfortunately that's when it was confirmed he had multiple tumors. So to answer your question, typically it's described in literature as teenagers coming in with hearing loss but we see a huge range and a lot of the eye findings get picked up in little kids and all the way up through adults. Dang, man, you're so lucky to get that person because I have a feeling Mm -hmm. that you're right. You would have got a let's wait and see doctor 99% of the time in that case. Mm -hmm. Wow. So there wasn't any patient group set up by the time that your son had been diagnosed, which is why you started a foundation. Or did you start a foundation because whatever was created wasn't necessarily focusing on research? Yeah, the latter of those two scenarios. So there are other foundations out there that are wonderful organizations. There are some that focus on social supports. There's one that really focuses on advocacy and getting funding for NF through the NIH and DOD. And then there's others that have looked into things 
like drug repurposing and small molecules. And I've had a few small successes, but then, and my son's actually even taking a medication like that right now. But since it's a tumor disorder, it almost functions in a, in a way like cancer where eventually you get resistant to it. So things, small molecules sometimes work for few months, maybe a year, and then you're right back where you started. So there was nobody looking into fixing the underlying problem. And that's really why we decided to go out on our own. And the other piece of that, which I'll mention now, is neurofibromatosis covers three different disorders, NF1, NF2, and what used to be called NF3. And that name was recently changed to schwannomatosis. And there was not an organization that was devoted just to NF2. And they're actually very different diseases. They were lumped together pre the understanding of chromosomes and DNA, and they were clinically lumped together as benign tumors of the nervous system. But as we've gotten a better understanding of genetics, it turns out that all three are very, are actually totally different diseases, different chromosomes, different genes. So we wanted just to focus in on NF2 and create a space where we could focus purely on NF2. That's great. And you're experience as a physician obviously helped you kind of understand a lot of that science and helped probably move you along a little quicker. So that's great. It did. Like I said, I had not heard of enough to, you know, there's 7,000 now. I've even seen, you know, the number being even higher. Some I saw on a paper recently, somebody quoted 9,600 9, identified rare diseases. We're all used to saying 7,000, but I think that's going up every single day. I didn't know what it was, but the background of having taken you know, biology and biochemistry and all those classes, it helped me navigate through the literature a lot faster, for sure. And how about you, Alok? Let's let's hear a little bit about your personal story and where you're at today. Sure. So, you know, uh, I myself am actually a scientist by trade and training, spent about 15 years at the bench. And, you know, after spending time as a, at the bench, I also started a couple of software companies focused on the biotech industry. Um, those companies have gone on to raise, you know, 100 million plus in venture, have a few hundred employees and are doing pretty well. But then last year, my wife and I were fortunate enough to have our first kid. Though the pregnancy went okay, unfortunately, our daughter was born very sick and spent a long time in the hospital. One of the hardest parts about that experience was that though the diseases that she had were somewhat common and the biology well understood, unfortunately, there were no dedicated therapeutic options available to her. And as a consequence, she spent a long time suffering. And so, you know, as a family, it's one of those experiences that you feel abandoned, alone, frustrated. And one that when you're in the NICU, especially, you just have a tendency to spend time with other families who also have sick children. And many of them have rare diseases. And it gives you an appreciation for that common element of experience you have amongst them. And one of the things that we started to realize more and more as we spent time with these families by our bay was the fact that we all had tremendous hope that a treatment would come to the forefront to be able to help treat our kids. But at the same time, realized that the common challenge that existed for all of us was not finding a potential treatment, but funding it specifically into a clinical trial. And so it was from that experience that motivated me to leave the software world and start Vibe, which is a biotech company. And so Vibe really aspires to give patients more ownership over the drug development process, as well as a community to support them along the way. And so we're really excited as part of this process to partner with uh, NF2 Biosolutions and and Nicole to launch Merlin Therapeutics. Um, And I think really Nicole's story really resonates with many other patient families out there where in this circumstance where you're trying to find a treatment for a given rare disease, despite there being a measurable patient population and measurable understanding of of the biology itself, many struggle to be able to pull the capital together to be able to advance a therapy themselves. And so we often find that many of these groups are relegated to the generosity of billionaires or running a bunch of bake sales. And so Vibe believes there to be a third and better option. And so Vibe is a 
biotech company, but at our core, we're a community of patients, scientists, and partners that help identify and vet potential treatments in the rare disease space. And then we actually finance those programs in innovative ways, namely through cryptocurrency token sales. So our goal is really to help provide the one in 10 Americans who are living with a rare disease to have the agency and control and unprecedented ownership of the drug development process such that patients, not profit or politics, can drive the next generation of drug development. Amazing. Alok, I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter and all of that that you went through. And you're right, bake sales and begging for money isn't sustainable and it just doesn't make sense in the end for these families who are racing for a therapy and a cure. I wonder, as a scientist and everything that you had done in biotech, if you were physically shocked at like the truth these families were, were dealing with, these families in the rare disease community had been living through and how they were living their lives. Was it kind of just an aha moment for you or did you kind of already have a feel for what rare disease patients and families were dealing with? Yeah, I think it was definitely an aha moment for me because it came up close and personal where... You know, you met these people day in, day out. You know, I spend time with folks like Nicole and, and others in the ecosystem as well, including folks who you've had on your podcast before. And I think the aha moment was for me that in these scenarios where there is well-understood biology and a reasonable-sized patient population, the fact that the traditional biotech drug development infrastructure, which we invest, you know, trillions of dollars a year in, isn't working on these diseases was the first aha moment. But I would articulate the other aha moment slightly differently, perhaps, which is I was most impressed and inspired by the ingenuity, creativity, determination of these families when it came to trying to develop a treatment for their loved one. And it was that inspirational behavior and activities and grit that they uh, demonstrated that motivated me to think about how we can create a new set of infrastructure, a new source of capital, as well as a new community to be able to help empower and support them in that mission. And so those were, I think, the two key aha moments that I had during that process and during that time that led me to start Vibe with my co-founder, Josh. It is a superpower. You're absolutely right. And I think everyone's nodding along and understanding about that. Okay, so can you sort of demystify this for parents who are newer in the journey or deciding to dip their toe into finding a different mechanism? Can you kind of break down the whole DAO concept and the cryptocurrency and exactly how you're scaling all of this with FiveBio? For sure. So, you know, for those who are familiar with the crypto world, my apologies, uh, as we'll probably rehash some additional topics here. But I think there's two facets really here to, to consider. The first is what Vibe is at its core is a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. It's a fancy way of saying we're a digital collective of individuals focused on a common mission. And the actions of this collective are mediated by voting and governance through a token that we all hold. So what Vibe Bio is doing at its core is building a community of patients, scientists, and partners to help identify and vet potential treatments in the rare disease space. We then actually fund the drug development activities from those programs using cryptocurrency token sales. So our community is instantiated as a DAO, and those aforementioned constituents are, are parts of that community. What we also do is issue a governance token called the VIBE token, where we actually grant those tokens for free to patients and patient advocacy groups. We provide them to scientists as well who are participating in our community. And then we sell a small portion of those tokens to external investors that then allows this community to have a balance sheet that can then be invested in different drug development programs. 
So the DAO as a construct is really a loose collection of individuals with this common mission of finding every cure for every community and leverages the token to help identify and then also vote on which medicines and which treatments we should be pursuing and use that token also to raise capital externally. Yeah, it's very unique and very cool. It's obvious why everyone's obsessed with with your business model. So tell me about the partnerships. Tell me about how the patient groups and how Nicole specifically sort of got onboarded. And let's talk about like what you build off from there with these patient groups. For sure. So, you know, I'll comment on uh, from the vibe perspective and then I'll turn it over to Nicole to maybe share her perspective as well. You know, our viewpoint is that we want to make routine the scalable development of rare disease treatments and do so in this community driven approach. You know, we've met now uh, many different patient advocacy groups across a variety of different rare diseases. And when we met folks like Nicole from NF2 Biosolutions, as well as the team at Chelsea's Hope, we were really excited by both of their organizations, the amount of collaboration they had demonstrated, the organization, and the amount of community they, they themselves have built among scientists, KOLs, pharma companies, etc. Additionally, in both those cases, there were some really high potential programs and really interesting science that had been developed to potentially treat both those respective diseases in NF2 and in Lafora. And so in that circumstance, what we've done is basically collaborated and partnered with those patient advocacy groups and manifest that partnership in the form of a biotech company. So Nicole uh, and NF2 Biosolutions team, we've created Merlin Therapeutics together, which is focused on NF2. And then we've created New Hope Therapeutics, which is focused on Lafora in partnership with Chelsea's Hope. And so these organizations now have capital and resources and personnel that can be brought to bear to be able to in-license that intellectual property for those proper promising medicines, and then be able to develop them to the point at which they could take them into clinical trials, transact them, take the companies public even if they choose. So that's sort of the approach that we've been trying to take where we can again provide that unprecedented level of ownership to the patient communities and hopefully use this as a framework and a template that we can then replicate for other high potential programs and disease areas over time. But let me turn over to Nicole who could probably give you a, a more detail on from her perspective. Yep. So there was a very just serendipitous introduction. There was an NF2 project that we were working on at a just sponsoring through the foundation. And it was a mutual contact who is an advisor to that program, who also is involved in Vibe and is a, a friend of Alok and, and Josh. And when they came up with this brilliant idea, that individual said, hey, I have a, a group you should talk to. So we got introduced, I guess we're coming up on a year ago now. So at the time, you know, I had no understanding of everything that Alok just described <laughs> and the Dow and how, you know, this just is not my world. But I spoke to them and their idea was brilliant and so badly needed. Alok and I were actually talking about this, you know, what I had hoped maybe for the rare disease community, something to come, some infrastructure to be created. I just didn't know what it what was. Would it be insurance companies that could do this or the government that could do this or something to help support these rare diseases that so badly need a cure or even any, any therapy? And then right around the time where we were really struggling on how we would get to the next step, that's when I happened to meet the Vibe team and it, it just worked. We were at the right stage of where we knew where we wanted to go, but we're limited in getting to the next step, which is to the clinic. 
So I can talk about that a little bit more. What I've seen over and over and over again is one, you need to have a family or a parent or a small group of parents who are, and you know this obviously like yourself, motivated to do something about the problem, get this diagnosis and want to do something about it. And once you make that decision, you can have bake sales and you can have runs and you can do Facebook fundraisers and you might be really lucky and raise $100,000 or a million dollars. And that's enough to get you going in academia to sign a research agreement with a lab or do some work on your own. But when you take the next step, if if the science is there and you're ready to take the next step into humans, it just becomes a hundredfold more expensive and more complicated and navigating the FDA and navigating how to set up a clinical trial. And that's something that it is next to impossible for family who's also dealing with raising a sick child and parenting and all the challenges that go with being affected by a rare disease to then take that next step. So there needed to be something. It seems like that that's what Vibe picked up on and knew that that was the hole that needed to be filled and they found a way to start filling it. You come to the table with highly motivated parents and this robust this robust file of like all the science that you've done and you're handing it over now to Vibe Bio to create something great. Let's talk about that. So I would say more that we're joining our areas of expertise, the science, with the building of the infrastructure and raising of the capital to create a almost a something that we look at as our, our baby, our, our <laughs> pet project, which is, is Merlin. So the way we are working most of these programs, we first of all, we picked a, a program that we're most excited about that we think has the most potential, which is our gene therapy, which is, you know, fixing the underlying problem. So that is our program that is further the furthest along. We're also looking at things like CRISPR and immunotherapy and some other things, but just the gene therapy program is what we'll be focusing on for now. So we sponsored through the foundation a sponsored research agreement at Nationwide Children's Hospital and created the background science, which is the animal work, the cell work, um, just showing that this can improve the outcome in NF2. Then there's all the other challenges. So like I said, navigating the the FDA, uh, planning of clinical trials, manufacturing is one of the absolute hardest pieces of all of this. And it's the most expensive and also seems to be the most complicated. So that is where we're working together, where Vibe is building this infrastructure of um, teams of people who are experts in all of these fields and while on my own, we wouldn't have been able to find those people, much less afford those t- people to, to help us. Vibe's creating this group of people who can contribute to multiple programs. So instead of having a full-time manufacturing person or a full-time toxicology person and so on, we're getting all these people and they're, they're looking at multiple programs and hopefully we'll continue down the line and help so many of these rare diseases by sharing the resources and getting us to a place we never would have been able to do or to get to on our own. So pulling all of that together. And while we brought some of the science, they're bringing the business side. And then we're sort of figuring out the rest of it as we go and what we need and talking to different folks who who are a little bit ahead of us in this process and trying to do the same. And at this point, we are working on building our team, getting our programs licensed and actually owned by Merlin planning how and what demographics to include in a clinical trial to start and all the other little bits and pieces that I didn't even know existed that I'm learning as as we go. 
So Alok, are you kind of handpicking these experts across the across the board for each specific disease that you're going to be onboarding? Or are you just going to have like a whole backlog of like these magical people that you're consulting on the reg? I'd say it's probably a little bit of both where as we instantiate this community of patients, scientists, and partners, we are being a bit selective to make sure we have the right mindsets and the right attitudes at the table. Um, I think it's safe to say, especially in the drug development world, there's a, a mix of motivations and personalities. We very much want to work with patient-centric individuals who see an opportunity to be able to get medicines to patients expediently and in creative ways. So I think one part of it is trying to bring some of these experts to the table to be that pool of talent that folks like Nicole or Chelsea's Hope or other members of the community can draw on on demand. So, you know, we've had folks who have been responsible for bringing drugs like Spinraza and Brunura to market as an example. And so really excited to have those sorts of experts. But then over time, I think as our community grows, we hope to be able to build out a much broader pool of experts, ranging from regulatory to clinical, CMC manufacturing to even uh, pharmacology and early stage discovery. So I think it's very much trying to put the right tone and nucleus of the community in place first, and then build out from there over time. Mm, Love that answer. Nicole, let's go back to Merlin. So when you're coming up with this idea and you're working with Vibio and you've decided to create this company, how do you bring this to your board and to your patient population? And kind of how do you get everyone's head wrapped around what's happening and understanding it? And Also, does this mean once you have this part of the equation going, does that mean that your patient group doesn't have to exhaust themselves in fundraising anymore? Do they still need to keep doing that? How does that all shift for your patient group? Well, I think we're going to continue down both paths. And to answer the first part of your question, explaining and describing to them what I wanted to do and what the VP of our organization, his name is Yields. We were pretty much on board. This is the way we have to go. But trying to explain that to a board of directors of 12 people without fully understanding it ourselves, it was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> we we got through it. We, you know, and, and Josh and Luke were very helpful and explained it and re-explained it over and over again. And we really just decided this was something we had to do. So everybody is on board. We haven't really gone out to the general this is we're still pretty new merlin was formed in april we haven't we've announced that it exists obviously that's why we're here but we haven't gotten into the weeds of you know the patients and explaining yet how merlin will be doing the the clinical development but then uh, we're still going continuing with the foundation side and fundraising as we normally would so it is. It can, it can be a little tough, I have to say. We do get some questions, but we're working on it and introducing the community to the fact that there can be a company that is doing this for the patient community, run by patient advocates who only has the best interests of the patients at heart. So that's really the, the message we're trying to get out now and explain to the community. And it's picking up and people are understanding. We have a lot of support both from within the foundation and from the general community, the NF2 community. So that side is all going well. What was the next piece of your question? That's a good question. Um, I think it was about <laughs> fundraising, which I don't want to yeah. scare anybody and make them, make you think that they don't need to keep fundraising. No, you know, so that I've thought about that, actually. If people 
in the community say, oh, well, there's a company and they're getting money, so do we need to continue? I don't think that's going to be too much of a hurdle because right now we are focusing just on this one program. And while, of course, we all hope with all of our hearts that this is the answer, you never know. Science is hard. Science is science. This may not be the final answer. So we need to keep going down the other paths. And it's the fundraising and the foundation that will be getting these new programs started and putting out feelers for what may or may not work. And then it's the company that then takes the ones that are most likely for success and brings them forward. So we just have to be careful in keeping those things separate and continuing our fundraising efforts to expand into other potential therapeutics and then knowing when the right time is to transition those over to the company for development. Well, I mean, with anything like fundraising still always brings awareness and it gives people a purpose and it really breathes life into the community. So separating that anyways. Yeah. Okay. Well, Merlin has amazing branding. So I wanted to tell you that anyways, I love, I love all everything about how it looks. It's very cool. So where are the two of you in this, in what stage are you in now? So you've, You've brought on Merlin. You've agreed that this that their science and what they have and what they've translated is something that you can work with. So what sort of stage are you now in bringing it to the clinic or where are you? Right now with that program, we are in the phase of diligence on the current program, making sure that everything that we need is there. It may require a little bit more work. There may be something that needs to be done basic science-wise in the lab. So that's the process that we're going through right now, looking at a gap analysis to see if there's anything else that needs to be done before we go to the FDA and say we're ready to put in our, our pre-IND. And we're also in the process of building out the team, that the core team that's going to work on this and just figuring out the next steps. We're all relatively new at this, so we're really learning from our experts that have done this before and just mapping out a plan, making a timeline and seeing how things go from there. Yeah. Alok, how slowly or quickly are you taking on new patient groups? Yeah, you know, we're moving at a very fast pace to be able to add patient communities that feel like they're ready to sort of take their shot on goal. So, you know, we, I think I've met with probably 40 or 50 patient communities at, to this point and are actively meeting with, you know, a half dozen plus on a weekly basis. So we'd love to connect with anyone who has a really well-organized patient community as well as promising programs they think could uh, treat uh, their disease. I think what we've often identified, however, is that there's a spectrum of, of preparedness of the patient communities. Some a very small number are sort of in the Coles uh, shoes where they have really high potential programs that are within maybe say two years of the clinic. But then there's a, a larger portion who are probably ups earlier in that process trying to understand their disease. They're still developing mouse models or setting up their first uh, sponsored research agreements. And so we want our community as a whole at Vibe to be a unique opportunity for that entire spectrum of patient community to be a participant where hopefully you can learn from others like Nicole, uh, who are perhaps one or two steps ahead of where you are today, but also bring those drug development experts to the table very early on such that you have that exposure and understanding what it takes to be able to bring a successful medicine um, to patients. So we're actively looking to partner with additional patient communities, actively looking to invest in programs and help uh, jointly develop them, uh, as well with uh, anyone who seeks to, to develop a treatment for uh, a rare disease. We are going to get some emails after this, <laughs> for real, yep. especially from CTNMV1, <laughs> okay? So I wonder, with the 40 groups that you've met with, obviously there's a spectrum, but have you discovered that there's perhaps any 
opportunity to kind of group anyone and leverage sort of a lot of the same symptoms or disease similarities together and go that way. Does that make any sense? It makes complete sense. So if it's all right, I'll take one step back and I'll give your uh, listeners a little bit of alpha here, where one thing that we're actually probably going to be doing later this year is doing a communal HTS screen for patient communities that have well-defined cell lines, you know, to identify sort of drug repurposing hits. And one of the reasons we're going to do that is in part because, to your point, there is sometimes commonality that exists across diseases, right? Certain pathways or ways to at least treat the symptoms of a given disease might be common across different diseases. But the other part of it is even just the process of going through a drug repurposing study puts a lot of cost on any one given patient community. But if we as an organization, both from our capital source, business model, as well as the community that we're building collectively, allows us to be able to decrease the costs on a per family basis. And so we're actually going to be financing a high throughput screen across many different patient communities because once you're able to get time reserved on some of those systems, the costs per run tend to go down pretty dramatically. So that's sort of, I think, one thing that we're really looking to advance for the broader community and sort of show how with this resulting set of data, we can identify both promising compounds, but then also hopefully some correlations between diseases or um, other uh, adjacent indications as well. So if you're also a patient community that has a well-defined cell line and are interested in sort of having uh, participating in a repurposing uh, study, let us know. We'd love to see if we can include you in that run as well. Yes, that is so cool. Well, we wish you all of the success. Obviously, uh, I know everyone is so excited for this model and your originality in it all and that it comes from such a personal place. And I'm so excited for Chelsea's Hope and for for you, Nicole, and your patient population for being the two that are kind of pioneering this for the rest of our groups. And I'm really excited to see how quickly this is possible now with this new idea. So can the two of you leave our listeners with a nugget of hope for where they're at in their journey right now, and especially those who are thinking about taking action or have and kind of feel a little stuck? Well, I can just say don't, it obviously sounds cliche, but don't give up. There are so many times where we, we had failure after failure, and I just felt like, why am I doing this? I should just, you know, spend the time I have with my son. And that might still happen. I might still not get anything to him in time. But little wins come along the way and don't give up. And people really respond to patient advocates, I think, more now than ever in the past. So just keep doing whatever you have to do. Email, call, find the person who you think you need to talk to, and somebody will eventually listen. It might not be the first or the 10th or the 20th time, but eventually you'll get there if you don't give up. And somebody said that to me pretty early on. Good people who care always make a difference in this rare disease world. And I was like, oh gosh, how could I ever do this? And here we are three three years later. So there's always somebody a few steps ahead of you and a lot of people a few steps behind you, but we're all gonna somehow find a way to help our kids or if not our kids, then anybody to follow us. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's safe to say that it takes a village, right? It takes a village not only to raise a child, especially one with special needs, but then also to develop a medicine. Our hope is to be able to bring that community to the forefront, which has that common set of values and alignment to a mission to find every cure for every community and make that an easy resource that's scalable for any patient community out there. But I think the other thing I'd also highlight is you should have tremendous 
confidence and pride in what you've accomplished to date. No matter how people may treat patients in the biotech world, patients are the most important part of the equation. You know, they're the community that you need to partner with to be able to understand the right endpoints, develop a clinical trial protocol, enroll patients in a trial. They're the same community that's going to help you with the regulatory authorities in terms of getting a medicine approved, as well as identify uh, and forge partnerships, right, with biotech and pharma companies. So it's this group of patients that I think are truly the center of the drug development world. And I want to encourage everyone to keep that in the back of their mind that they truly are the most important part of the ecosystem. And hopefully it's projects like Vibe and others that will come in the future that will hopefully continue to embolden, empower, and enable patients to truly be at the center of drug development, not profit or politics. Mm. Chills. I know so many people listening needed that pep talk from the both of you. So thank you so much. Is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have? Mm, I really can't think of anything. All right. Well, that's great. I'll have all of your contacts in our show notes. So if anyone listening to this wants to get in contact with either of you, it'll be there for you. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and for sharing with me about this amazing work that you're doing. I'm so freaking excited for our rare disease community every single day and with every single person that I meet along the way. It's just it's amazing how much passion and drive and just magic is in the veins of this whole community. So thanks for all the work you're doing. Thank you, too. And I agree with you. It's happening so much faster than it ever has happened at any point in time in the past where you, know, you talk about somebody like John Crowley where that he was the only one who was able to do something like, like this for decades and now it's almost like every other day you see somebody else's <laughs> I know I wake up I'm like I hope I read a press release today <laughs> yeah so it's we're at, we're at an inflection point I think it's gonna suddenly become a whole lot easier for a lot of families so even more reason to you know be that one that decides to get the diagnosis and and fight back against it. Well, think about who's going to play you in a movie then, Nicole. Ha. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. The both of you please keep in contact with me and let me know how myself or once upon a gene and my community can be of help in any way. We will. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, Please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.